Welcome back, everybody. This is the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug, joined by my co-hosts, Tug and Bug. Welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, glad to have you back, Tug. And uh, Doug, I'm glad to be doing this again with you, buddy. Always a great time. Let's go ahead and dive on into the news. What do you say? Let's do it. So you may remember the fan from, like, what, a week ago? Which I don't know how you'd forget this already. But there was a guy who got handed Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball. He gave it back. And we talked about all the stuff he got on last episode. But apparently there's an update here. Bug, do you want to share this update with us? Yeah, so officially Byron Kennedy, the man who received Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball from Mike Evans, on top of everything we talked about him receiving earlier in the week, he's also received one Bitcoin from Tom Brady himself. Market value of Bitcoin, $62,450. When I looked it up yesterday, apparently it's already gone down $1,000. So something crazy going on there, but... You know, Bitcoins were what, you know, fractions of a penny when they first came out, too. So who knows what will happen. Could end up being worth that $500,000 payday he potentially gave away. Uh, There's also rumors that Gronk has thrown in some money to Byron Kennedy as well. I don't know how true any of that is. What's also cool about this, something that probably is invaluable to him or anybody that would have been in this position, but he recorded the play on his phone and kept going. It, you know, his, his hand, his phone shakes. And then all of a sudden the cameras turned around, he's holding the football. So he got all of it on film that's on his phone for as long as he wants it, which I would imagine would be forever. And it's been uploaded to Twitter. It's not going anywhere. That's pretty awesome that he's got all these memories and all this pretty sweet merch out of the deal. Oh, and that Bitcoin. How could I forget about that? I know, Tug, you had said before, he really should have held onto that ball, kept some leverage. Apparently, Tom Brady agrees with you. How does that make you feel? (laughs) I mean, hey, at least Tom Brady agrees with me. You know, when you look at this from a football fan, I can't blame the guy for giving it away. But yeah, he probably could have gotten a lot more out of it, which is saying something because he already has a lot. But even still. Let's forget about this guy for a while because, you know, unless he gets another ball handed to him, he's going to stay out of the news, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, With those season tickets, though, this year and next year, maybe we'll see him again. I don't know. We have one name returning, though, going back home. Mark Ingram here got traded to the Saints. That's the team originally drafted him, so that's kind of cool. I'd like that for him, going from the Texans, getting out of a very bad team. I think all of us had a quick heart attack when we saw that alert come across our phones because really the only thing the notification said was Texans trade or trade alert Texans send and then everybody else blacked out because we're all expecting one trade to go through, but it's probably not going to. But yeah, we I think we all had a collective heart attack when when that came across. No, I think you had a heart attack. (laughs) I did not, because I actually, my notification ended up saying Mark Ingram to begin with. But yeah, my mind first did initially go to Watson to all that fun stuff. I got more excited than scared, so. (laughs) You can still have a heart attack from excitement. That is still a possibility. I mean, fair, but I 
if I get a heart attack over Deshaun Watson, that'll be be news to me. Uh, speaking of dumb Texans trades, J.J. Watt on the Cardinals. Uh, Bug, he was your player to watch last week, and it ended up costing him the season. You are the J.J. <laughs> Watt killer. Uh, yeah, apparently he was playing with a torn labrum, bicep, and rotator cuff like the whole second half, which is just a test. You know, he didn't record amazing stats. Talked about that already earlier this week. But he still had an impact on the game, and that's just a testament to how tough this dude is and how good of a football player he is that with all those injuries in his arm, he was able to still pull off a pretty good game, even if the stat line wasn't there. How was he moving his arm? Like, at all? Adrenaline. That's fair. One massive cortisone shot and call it a day. Like, <laughs> Hey, maybe he's tougher than Baker Mayfield, who only tore his labrum and dislocated the shoulder. And he was out. J.J. Watt was still playing. To be fair, <laughs> Baker Mayfield wanted to play. <clears throat> Either way, it's probably good that J.J. Watt's done for the season, get all that stuff repaired. He was having a pretty good year and had certainly affected that locker room culture out in Arizona. Felt like a winning team. So we'll see how they can hold up without him. One last story of the NFL, though. I just thought this was hilarious. Apparently, Arthur Smith at least jokingly, but he did technically offer Dikembe Mutombo a chance to try out for the team because the Atlanta Falcons need somebody who can block. 55-year-old Dikembe Mutombo who saved the (laughs) world for friendship. Thank you, Old Spice, for that experience. Thank you, Old Spice. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I can just imagine some like Miles Garrett trying to get to Matt Ryan and Dikembe Mutombo standing there wagging his finger. No, no, no. No, no, no. (laughs) That would be great. But let's go ahead and jump to college news. Let's, uh, I guess we should start off with. Texas Tech here, Um, head coach Matt Wells was fired after giving up a 14-point comeback to Kansas State. Kind of a rough way to go out. Okay, this season, Matt Wells was certainly in position to do the best he's ever done at Texas Tech. I think they are still 4-3, and but a big loss in conference. I think winless in conference right now, maybe one win. It's uh, not what Texas Tech is wanting. So they do have an interim head coach, their former offensive coordinator, and former Texas Tech quarterback, Sonny Cumbie, is taking over for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting way. But also, at the same time, I kind of agree. If you're going to make a change, don't delay it. Just go ahead and make the change. Don't... Don't pull an LSU. You know what's funny, though? 14-point comeback loss is still less than what Texas gave up two weeks in a row. So, Yeah, but they have a first-year head coach. You're going to give him a little bit of time. Oh, and no, it is what Texas. Kansas gave up to Oklahoma. <laughs> also That's that. Fair. 
Next up, the bowl season executive director and chairman, which I didn't know those positions existed, but now I want it. Uh, Nick Capillary and Mark Neville sent a joint letter to the college football playoff management committee saying that, you know, if you expand the playoff, that's great. Just don't have on-campus games in the first round. Integrate them into the bowl, bowl schedule. And I say... We all saw this coming. We all up, saw this coming. Up yours, bowl committee. <laughs> we all saw oh. this coming, and that's... I, I would like on-campus games. 100%. I would love or, that. Or, you know... In some cases, you know, just home field advantage in the first round. Absolutely. The Bulls make too much money for them to not get rid of them. The biggest complaint I have with it, because I, I, I honestly don't even mind the neutral site for the whole playoffs, you know, integrating into the Bulls that way. The problem I have with it, though, is that now, let's say, what, 12 teams, there'd be four rounds, right? If you play and win all four rounds, you win four trophies plus potentially your conference trophy with five, five championships in one year. Like that's it's ridiculous. It's that part I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of it because I think the bowl design needs to go rotten hell and die, because there's way too many right now. Dude, you can still do your thing. You'll just basically become the NIT tournament in basketball. Like you can still offer bowls to the hundred twenty or 118 other teams that don't make the college football playoff, they will still be looking for bowl season. You can still do your thing. Stop it. Nobody cares about you anymore. You don't mean anything. I the, disagree. Uh, the auto being... zone point set a bowl, whatever. The, uh... <laughs> the, the auto zone uh... Liberty Bowl, you mean? I, I was trying to make up a bowl. I didn't know auto zone sponsored one. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, they do. The uh, Kentucky everybody. Department of Transportation Gravel Bowl needs needs a needs representation in the playoff. I mean, come on. <laughs> and John, while I fully understand your point, I'm never going to complain about bowl season because football on every day between Thanksgiving and New Year's, you can't beat that. I and I get that point, which is why I'm saying, hey okay, you can still exist because you're right, Ben. There's too much money in that in college football to watch it go away. But you have 100 at, – at this point, you already invite 80 teams to a bowl. Just invite, you know, number 13 through number 93 to a bowl then. Like, I don't care. Just don't do it in the playoffs because the playoffs absolutely should have some sort of home field advantage at some point. And those teams that are in there don't care about what bowl they're in. They care about winning that game and getting to the next round. I don't know. Winning a Big Ten championship, an Outback Bowl trophy, a Rose Bowl trophy, and a National Championship trophy on one season certainly be interesting. Give them that. <laughs> no. Go die. You know, the last time uh, we I'm saw a letter like this sent in college football, it was a real desperation move by Conference USA, and it appears to have not worked out at all. They sent a letter to the American asking, hey, you know, why don't we just divvy up our teams and make it a little bit more geographically appropriate? And the why American said... Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? And the American said, no, give us all of your good teams. 
<laughs> so that happened. And then <laughs> the Sun Belt came and took two other, like, not even that good teams. So Southern Miss and Old Dominion are going to the Sun Belt now. Apparently, Marshall is expected to join them, leaving Conference USA to join the Sun Belt. They're not going to do that for a few days, though, as they are introducing a new president today as we record this. And James Madison is expected to join the Sun Belt as well, transitioning up from the FCS level pending state approval in Virginia. So the Sun Belt is now moving to 16 teams, joining the SEC as the only two 16-team conferences in college football. Absolutely I've seen a couple other people kind of suggest this. Do you think the Sun Belt might be trying to get ahead of the Super Conference thing and making one of their own? They basically already have 16 teams. You kind of can't do divisions anymore. Need a little bit of a pod-type structure. What's that all been floated around? You have you know, basically four divisions almost. Yeah, that's how I would do it. Four divisions. Um, you play everybody in your division, and then, you know, one or two teams. You could pull the yeah, – actually, at 16 teams, you could almost pull the NFL-type schedule there in conference. So the one that I enjoy the most is, you know, you play the other three teams in your pod, you play one other full pod, and then you have a protected rivalry every year. So on the year that you're playing the other pod that includes your rival – you just have a random other conference game. But that would be eight conference games. I know some conferences, namely the Big Ten and ACC, are pushing for a nine-game conference schedule. I have no idea how that would end up working out, especially now with the the uh, ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12, whatever, alliance. If that ends up happening, are they going to stay at a nine-game conference schedule? Are they going to, I mean, all this is really convoluted. Yeah, it's going to get nuts, but if they can make it work, hey, so be it. And we'll look at seeing between the Sun Belt and the SEC, and we'll be able to analyze uh, who does it best. I'm already voting Sun Belt. Same. (laughs) Oh, you mean because the Sun Belt's not going to have a FCS game scheduled in there as well? Oh, they will. It's just not a cupcake. That's the protected rivalry for uh, the SEC is their FCS opponent. Boom, got them. Um, so this leaves Conference USA in a very bad position, right? Because what do they have left now? Basically five teams, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, Louisiana Tech, Florida International, and University of Texas, El Paso. What are they going to do? They have some options, I guess, for trying to get back to 10 game, 10 teams in the conference. It would be accomplished. It is theoretically possible. It's also very possible that all five of these teams end up being independent and CUSA basically folds. What do you guys think is most likely? And what do you think is... Uh, what do you think is going to happen? I'm becoming more and more of the opinion. Uh, man, I don't think the CUSA is going to fold. They're probably going to pull some guys up from the FCS. I just don't know who yet. 
Uh, the FCS is probably looking at having to entirely change their ge- geographic standing, which is going to be nuts. Uh, basically rebuild the conference. But I could also see uh, it's it's a tough situation, man. I could also see them dropping down to the FCS uh, just to kind of regather themselves like like the WAC did. You know, they stopped sponsoring football altogether for about 10, 15 years there. And now they're coming back this year. So that's that's a possibility, too. I don't know. But this is a very interesting situation. Uh, they need to make a play at Liberty like now, though, if they're going to try and pull them in. I think CSA is cooked. I think they're done. I don't see how they pull this one out. They have survived like cockroaches for a very long time. And I think this is the end of the line for them. I I can't say it's a bad thing because I think they legitimately have the worst officiating crews in the entire fucking country. I've been saying that my whole life. I still think that. It does suck for the teams left holding the bag, though. WKU, MTSU, Louisiana Tech, FIU, UTEP. They'll find homes. UTEP could easily go to the Mountain West. Uh, MTSU, Western Kentucky would make sense in the MAC or potentially in the American if there's some more shifting with the Big 12 looking to expand more potentially. Uh, Louisiana Tech and FIU potentially looking at maybe going to the ACC. That would be something that could work out or even going to the American as well. It, it, it sucks that they're, they're left here with nothing. But Conference USA, they waited too long. They didn't take an aggressive approach. And this is what they're stuck with. I kind of feel bad for Western Kentucky and MTSU and all this and FIU. They all left the Sun Belt in 2013 thinking they were taking a big step up to go to Conference USA. That... <sighs> <laughs> well, and, and that's that's the thing is Conference USA had been the conference that was a stepping stone into something bigger. Unfortunately, that something bigger was the Big East, which dissolved as far as football goal goes, became the American, and now the American is the stepping stone. I I, I just to me it's funny too because Western Kentucky. You know, they were kind of the first team to really do this jump up from D1 AA FCS. I'm not exactly sure when they jumped up, but they jumped up, went to the Sun Belt, became a legitimate team, and then went to CUSA and actually helped bring the conference back to life after this last round of conference realignment. Same thing with MTSU for that matter. I'm not sure about the uh, the FCS to FBS jump for them, but it, it, it's really a bad situation for all the teams that are left. Let's go ahead and talk about the FCS here for a bit. The Jerry Rice FCS Freshman of the Year Award watch list has been released. This watch list is different from other watch lists for the FCS awards because they don't release it until about halfway through the season, which is totally fair. You have no idea which freshmen are really going to even play until about halfway through the season. So... Understandable, but we finally get the watch list. There are 22 names. I'm not going to read them all, but it's interesting to note, you know, past winners of this award include guys like Cooper Cup, who's the best receiver in NFL history through seven games, it seems like. Uh, Chase Edmonds, getting the Cardinals off to the 7-0 start. Trey Lance, uh, my guy Cameron Ward, won it last year for Incarnate Word. So 
this is a big time award, obviously named after Jerry Rice for being as sensational as he was, even as a freshman at the FCS level. So of these 22 names, there are 12 offensive players, nine defensive players, and a kicker, which is a very nice mix. I'm glad they have everybody represented there. Uh, sorry, punters, you don't matter, apparently. Uh, we'll say there's two guys for the all-name team here. Uh, Zevi Eckhaus, quarterback for Bryant, and Thor Griffith, defensive lineman for Harvard. Very excited for those guys. I love seeing two Northeast teams being uh, represented here in the all-name team. So, Primetime's son and quarterback for Jackson State, Shadur Sanders, does make the cut as well for the Freshman of the Year watch list. He's probably the best quarterback on the list, though I will say the statistical leaders are guys other than quarterbacks. You're probably looking at the running back for Southern, Kobe Dillon, the wide receiver for Presbyterian, Jalen Witcher, linebacker from Fordham, James Conway, or Montana State's kicker, Blake Glessner. I know I said the kicker there, but he really is having an incredible season so far. Multiple field goals over 50 yards, long of 54, is tied for third best in the FCS this season. So some interesting leaders there. They said technically they can add more to the watch list as the season goes on, even. These are definitely not the final. This isn't the list of finalists. This is still a watch list. But certainly interesting to see where we're at about halfway through the season. Okay, so I just got to bring up a couple things. If Shadur Sanders cannot read a defense at a damn near pro level, I'm disappointed in Dion as a father because... He should be able to teach his son, hey, this is what the DBs are actually trying to do. Uh, other than that, I'm blown away by the stats for James Conway here. Does anybody else on Fordham make tackles? Through six games, the dude's got 97 tackles. Like, he's on pace for almost 200 tackles this year. That's nuts. I mean, you always tell me that's the role of the middle linebacker in a 4-3. I mean, yeah, you're right, but Damn. Four forced fumbles for him as well. That's pretty incredible. No interceptions, though. No passes defended. He's not a coverage guy, but he will st- he will fill up some run lanes. I was going to say, something tells me they're facing a lot of running offenses. I would put money on it. This is the FCS after all. <laughs> but that about does it for our college news and our news in general, unless you guys have something else to add. Matig doesn't know. Yeah, no, I'm good. So a little fun fact about me. My favorite day of the week is Saturday because college football exists on that day in mass quantities. And I am very excited for Saturday because there are some amazing games coming up. Bug, why don't you tell us about one of the games that you are just dying to watch? My game of the week, I'm actually going UTEP versus FAU. Now, UTEP is 6-1 and one and going to be left holding the bag when I predict Conference USA dissolves. FAU is 4-3, and three and they're going to be joining the American Athletic Conference. There's a lot of things that are going into this game. I expect UTEP to come out angry and mean. FAU 
I think they're a pretty good team too. Let's see if they can prove it against a team that a lot of people are forgetting about. Doug, I want you to go next because, Doug, you're going to take two games. You're going to make picks on two games to try and get even with us in, uh, in records here as far as games picked. And we'll figure out the NFL here in a little bit. Before we do, on the kickoff, a Cardinals player went low to make the tackle, knee to the helmet, and stopped moving. Very scary. Uh, stretcher immediately coming out. Players taking knees. They're on commercial now. Not looking good. I hope we don't have another uh, Ryan Shazier moment that we just witnessed here. Nah, that's a good point. I hope he's okay. Um, But back to the situation at hand. I need to pick a game here. And I am once again diving back into the Big 12. I think this is like the third or fourth time I've picked Oklahoma this year. Um, and one of these games is just not going to go their way, but I don't know if that's going to be this week. Uh, granted they're playing Texas tech. They are at home, which seems to be where Oklahoma for some reason is allowing these games to stay close is at home in Norman. Um, but Texas tech has a lot of distractions coming in. They just got a new, um, interim head coach in their, in their offensive coordinator, so we'll see how this goes, but this is going to be a game to watch because OU's games this year have all been close, uh, except for like TCU for absolutely no reason. Even Kansas kept it close. Kansas kept it more than close. Kansas should have won that game. <laughs> Very fun. <clears throat> yeah, so we're we're making up some time here. I remember one week I was out when I, we were supposed to be picking games to watch, and so my record has... Uh, Always been a game short of these guys. So we picked a great week for me to make up some time here because there are two games inside the Big Ten East that I'm sure everyone has already been talking about. Everyone's already got on the radar, but it's the Big Ten East. That's my division. I really am looking forward to these two games. So we have Michigan State hosting the in-state rivals. Man, that is huge. A top 10 matchup (laughs) in East Lansing, not involving Ohio State. That's probably the first time in over a decade that there has been a top 10 matchup in the Big Ten that's not involved Ohio State. So... (laughs) Can I just highlight that you won't even call them that team up north right now? No, 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 no. Did you really say the first time there's been a top 10 matchup in, in the, the Big, Big Ten, Ten East? I meant not the Big Ten. Okay. In general, okay. We, I was like two weeks ago, Doug. Come on. I know. I, I know. I know Iowa, Penn State. But in the Big Ten East, I mean, nobody has been good at the same time, right? So this year, everyone's all kind of come together and been good at the same time in the Big Ten East. And it, it's really nice to see. But also in the Big Ten East, we have the aforementioned Penn State there coming to the shoe. And man, I am I'm hyped because Penn State looks like absolute dog shit the last two weeks. Well, one of those was a bye week, but you know, still Illinois counts for two bad weeks <laughs> once it goes to nine overtimes. And uh man, maybe Sean Clifford's back to full health, maybe not. Either way, I don't think he's gonna be effective against Ohio State. They're playing a lot better as of late, especially on the defensive side of the ball. 
And I say especially, you know, playing better on that side of the ball because the offense was already good. Even go back to the Oregon game, everyone loves to beat us up over. I mean, C.J. Stroud threw for almost 400 yards in that game. So the offense has been good. The defense is catching up. And the offense feels like it's still getting better. I think Ohio State's going to win this one. And I'm really hoping Michigan State wins this one. <laughs> I'm still impressed that you're calling them the in-state rival now, not that team up north. This is this if was a new level of petty, and I love it. If there's a way to avoid calling them by any name that they would even recognize, I so would you that. said You said Michigan when you said Michigan State already. Well, Michigan State is allowed to exist. We got the thumbs up. That's at least some good news as a player being carted off the field out in Arizona. So he's not paralyzed. We're good Thank, there. At least not from the uh, neck down. Haven't ruled out, unfortunately, the waist down. Way to, way to bring us down there. I was trying to make I'm it happy. Thing. Just Damn. trying to be <clears throat> fully transparent. I mean... I guess I'm going to keep going with the picks because I've already said Ohio State and Michigan State there. I'm going to take UTEP as well over FAU. Uh, no great reason there. I really don't believe too much in UTEP just yet. I think FAU has, really is pretty solid this year, but I like the momentum UTEP has. I'm going to go ahead and take them. Uh, also, yeah, it's going to be Oklahoma. Texas Tech is garbage. That's why they fired their coach. I'll go next year. Uh, I actually think FAU is going to pull it out, but kind of for the same reason, I don't really have one. Um, I really don't trust either of those teams too much, but I think I think FAU pulls this one out uh, at home. I am going Ohio State here. I'm not picking between Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, and then I agree with you as much as I think Texas Tech will find a way to keep it close because Oklahoma will beat themselves into keeping it close. Oklahoma is going to pull it out. So. I'm going to go FAU because looking at UTEP's schedule, they haven't really played anybody. And when they did, they lost their one loss is to Boise State. But they've got wins over teams like Old Dominion, who's very mediocre this year. Southern Miss, who's bad this year. Louisiana Tech, who's bad this year. New Mexico State. And I'm thinking this one's BCU. I'm assuming this is an FCS school. I, look, I, I don't think they're as good as their record says. FAU, on the other hand, their losses are coming to Florida, Air Force, and UAB. Quality teams. And they've got, I mean, they don't have any amazing wins either. But at least they're actually playing people, which is something that I can't say for UTEP. Uh, since, Tug, you went with the Ohio State-Penn State game, I'm going to pick the Michigan-Michigan State game, and I am going to pick Michigan, if only because I want to see the game be this dramatic battle of unbeatens to go to the Big Ten Championship and keep your playoff hopes alive. So I, I want to see that, so I'm going to pick Michigan. And, yeah, I mean, Texas Tech, they it's not it's not a good look for them right now. They're going through a lot of the same things USC is, is going through, which is a team we talked about last week, and I saw how that worked out firsthand. I can't take Texas Tech over Oklahoma. i got to go with Oklahoma here. So I'm not going to lie to you. 
having the game as undefeated, you know, going winner take all going to the Big Ten title game would be great. It'd be the first time in 15 years that that's happened. But at the same time, I am going to the Michigan State Ohio State game. And so I want that one to be good too. <laughs> and that, yeah. uh, that BCU game you're talking about, that's Bethune Cookman. So yeah, FCS school for yeah, you. FCS. <laughs> I have I have heard of them. I just I'd never seen their logo. I'd never seen Wildcats next to them. I had no clue who the fuck it was. That uh they got almost have the USC colors. Yeah. So very disturbing. I do not like that logo at all. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go ahead and talk about some bonus games. Another great Big Ten matchup here, Iowa-Wisconsin. Iowa is still in the top ten, or at least hovering right around it. Wisconsin's a lot better than people are giving them credit for. I know they have three losses on the year. Those are just some pretty good teams. And Wisconsin still has one of the highest-rated defenses I've ever seen, according to the BDT trench ratings. Yes, better than Georgia. So go ahead and sign up on Patreon, patreon.com slash football. If you want to know more about how great this Wisconsin defense is, we do have the world's largest outdoor cocktail party going on. Georgia, Florida, probably the best chance we have to see of Georgia losing a game this regular season. Still, the Bulldogs are favored by 14, so probably not going to happen. I I do think Georgia's going to win this one. Uh, Kentucky, Mississippi State, this is a pretty interesting one. I also found an interesting stat, you know, if Kentucky wins out, they would be 11-1 and one on the season without having beaten any program inside the top 25. <laughs> really ridiculous, <laughs> considering they are an SEC school. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Ole Miss-Auburn this weekend's huge game. I know we talked about Ole Miss-Arkansas possibly being for second place in the SEC West. Well, this one might be doing the same thing. You know, Auburn's kind of creeping up in there. Been quietly in the conversation for the second best team in the West for really this whole season. Uh, Virginia BYU. BYU is ranked again. I know they were knocked out of the top 25 for a little while. Virginia is right on the edge. And really, I think they probably should be at this point. The way that offense has been playing has been nothing short of incredible. And Virginia looks like the team Virginia Tech wanted to be this season. So <laughs> take that for what you will. Uh, SMU, Houston. SMU needs to stay undefeated. If Cincinnati wants a shot at the playoff, there's no two ways around it. That needs to be a ranked game. And this is SMU's biggest test of the season to date, at least in my opinion. Uh, Oregon State at California should be a pretty interesting one. Oregon State is having their best season in a very long time, really, really since probably the 60s. And Cal is definitely not. There were some higher expectations on the Golden Bears heading into this year, but the Beavers are playing pretty tough. Should That's, be a fascinating game. I thought about taking this one as my game, but it's on the back on the Pac-12 network, which I have no access to. For no good reason, I thought this one might end up being a decent game because we're talking about two teams going in different directions unexpectedly, honestly. And that's Cal being at home. You never know. It's a crazy, crazy place to play, it looks like. I really expected both of these teams to finish around 500 on the year. And it looks like they're going, <laughs> like, definitely not that. 
<laughs> and we we could absolutely see the Pac-12 continue to cannibalize itself. And if that happens in this game, all the better. I'm just waiting to see Duckface Beaver Carnage. That's going to be a fantastic game this year. We're going to be fighting over who gets to take that one as their game to watch. <laughs> it's rivalry week. You won't have to fight me too hard. Um, FCS, only have three games to highlight for you here. Dartmouth, Harvard. I know both of these schools are not undefeated Ivy League schools, but at the same time, they're both pretty good. So, interesting Ivy League matchup for you there. South Dakota State, Youngstown State. South Dakota State is on a two-game losing streak, and Youngstown State is on quite a winning streak here. Should be pretty interesting. It is in Youngstown. So, if SDSU wants a real shot at that conference title, they need to win this game. Uh, Southern Illinois at Northern Iowa. The Salukis are leading the way in the Missouri Valley Conference at the moment. Northern Iowa has been tripping some people up, especially in that beer can out in the field. So let's see what they can do. That uh, <laughs> that stadium's going to be rocking. That's going to be an electric game, and you and I could sneak back into Missouri Valley Conference championship contention here with this one. But with that, let's go ahead and jump to the players to watch. Who wants to go first? Before we get there, I do have an update on our uh, NFL uh, injury. Uh, so from Armando Salguero, uh, press box announcement is Kylan Hill did have movement to lower extremities, but being evaluated for concussion and neck injury. So he is not paralyzed. It sounds like he's got movement. So we are good to go there. It was... I don't know if either one of you were watching it or saw it, but man, just the way he went down and went limp, not something you ever want to see. Cool. And I will start us off taking us back to the high note with my player to watch here. Uh, I'm sticking with my way of doing it. I'm going with uh, Caleb Williams, quarterback for Oklahoma. Guys, we know this kid can ball, but the the plague that Oklahoma has been fighting all year is the beating themselves portion. They have not protected the ball. They have not done well. In that sense, they a lot of little mental mistakes, which is unheard of for Oklahoma. Caleb Williams has been a nice change of pace for Oklahoma. I think he's good for them. Uh, but, hey, if, if they're going to win this game and they're going to make a statement game, they cannot allow – Texas Tech to hang around and keep it close the entire game. So I'm, I'm looking for, for Caleb Williams to protect the ball. I'm looking for him to put up some massive stats in that Big 12 offense uh, and have a good game. But like I said, I'm going to be watching mostly for can he protect the ball. He had a 1,000 IQ play, controversially, right? He stripped it from his running back and on fourth down got the first down against Kansas that really helped lead the way to the to the win there that was Man, a horrible call because his I, forward momentum was the definition of stopped I, I wish you had been here earlier in the week for a couple of different Just, discussions that's one of them <laughs> I would also man, say that is not a thousand IQ play that was a desperation play that happened to work out <laughs> he had no idea that was legal until he did it <laughs> hey maybe he did maybe he didn't you're not in his brain I hope not, anyway. That'd be creepy. I'll go next, since, Doug, I guess you want to keep yours a secret here. You don't even have it on the notes for us. 
I'm going with quarterback Anthony Richardson from Florida. After this team literally threw the game away last week against LSU, they went to the redshirt freshman. He had been the backup. He had played. He's had an interesting season. He was the better quarterback last week. I want to see what he does in this one against an absolutely better defense and what is going to be a closer game going into it to begin with. So preparation is probably going to be different. Mindset's going to be different. I wonder, I want to see what this kid can do. So you're right, Bug. I don't have a player to watch in the notes. That's because I'm totally breaking the rules with this, and I didn't want Tug to get mad at me. So here's what's going to happen. I want to take a player from each of my games to watch and a third player outside of those games. Jesus, dude. This is an awesome week of college football, okay? I'm not kidding. So for the the state up north, East Lansing's biggest game in a long time. (laughs) We are now up to the state up north. Let's go ahead and and watch out for Kenneth Walker III. He is legitimately in the Heisman conversation as a, you know, transfer running back to the Spartans has really made a huge impact to this offense, really changed the way this offense just completely looks. Last season was horrendous for Michigan State, and this year they look good, mostly on the back of Kenneth Walker III. Uh, For Penn State at Ohio State, I'm taking a player to watch for a different reason. I'm looking at Jahan Dotson, wide receiver for Penn State. If Ohio State shuts him down, it will be a massive blowout for Ohio State. If Penn State has any hope of keeping this one close, Jahan Dotson has a big game. There is no other offense for Penn State. The Nittany Lions are atrocious at running the football this season, and Sean Clifford is not good at throwing it unless he's throwing 50-50 balls to Jahan Dotson. So if Dotson catches a bunch of those, it's going to be a bad time for Ohio State. Let's see what happens there. That's really the matchup to watch. But I also wanted to call out Brennan Armstrong for Virginia because, man, he's having a crazy under-the-radar season at quarterback. No one's talking about him, and I don't know why because he I think he's technically leading the country in passing yards for Virginia here going against a BYU defense that has looked very vulnerable here in ways that we didn't expect them to coming into the season. So I'm looking for Virginia to put up quite a big performance against BYU. It's at BYU under the lights, and I am excited for this one. This whole weekend is going to be incredible. I love college football. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, just because our fans can't see your face right now, Doug. This is genuinely the most excited I've seen him since the game two years ago. I mean, it, I, you would have seen me this excited for the game last year, except somebody it backed did, out and it did, didn't happen. I somebody agree. got a little That's bit scared. I... Nope, nope. I'm going to go with they were a lot of bit scared. <laughs> they don't deserve to exist. Without further ado, let's hop in the NFL previews. That almost rhymed, and I tried hard to make it rhyme, but it didn't still. So, you know, it is what it is. Let's move on. Bug, you got a game for us to watch? Yeah, so I feel bad enough that I take players a lot of the times that I don't get to watch and pay a ton of attention to. Uh, And Sunday is Halloween, in case anybody didn't realize what tomorrow is. Um, 
I have two kids, and we're going to be doing stuff with them all day, except for during the Bears game. So by default, that's going to be my game to watch. I know I don't want to. I don't want to take this game, but that it's the game I'm taking. Sometimes it really do be like that. Tug, you got a game for us to watch? I do. I'm going to apologize. This is the second time I've had to apologize to our fans this year, um, but I'm going to do it again because I'm taking a game that I really don't think is going to be fantastic, but there could be a cool storyline that comes out of it. Um, I'm taking the Eagles going up to Detroit, taking on the Lions. Honestly, this has to be the Lions' best chance to win this season. Although they find a way to keep games close, that should be blowouts, and then they get blown out in games that should be close. So I don't even really know how to predict this one right now. Uh, but I'm looking at it, wondering if Dan Campbell can get his first win uh, as a full-time head coach, not an interim head coach. I'm hoping for some wild score Gami, something like, you know, 54 to six, or something crazy. I don't even need a score Gami. Give me three to two. <laughs> I'd be interested with a three to two game. That would be awesome. <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Un- uh, so. Un- Unfortunately, that means the Lions would lose on a last-second field goal, but, you know, same, same. <laughs> there you uh, so, so, just like college, I am going to take two games this week. Again, trying to catch myself up on our records here. Uh, New England at the L.A. Chargers. Sounds very interesting. Mac Jones has been improving for sure, and Justin Herbert has been pretty good, but that defense needs to improve. So, kind of a interesting matchup a little bit of strength on strength and weakness on weakness if you will so it should be a fun one to watch down in la also have a big rivalry game in the division tennessee is heading to indianapolis if the colts win this game they really have the inside track in the division and i know you're going to say how would the colts possibly win this game hasn't tennessee been completely dominant in the last two weeks against buffalo and kansas city This is still the only team who has lost to the New York Jets. So don't know which Tennessee Titans is going to show up. Maybe the Colts have a real shot here. And if they play up to their potential, they certainly have the talent to beat Tennessee. We'll see what they can do. I I know everyone's hating on Carson Wentz still, but he's actually putting together a pretty decent season. And let's let's see how this game turns out. I really don't know what to expect in this one. But it should be a pretty good, pretty good game. I guess I'll go ahead and roll into the picks here. I am going to take the Tennessee Titans in that one, even though I do expect it to be pretty close. Also going to take the Chargers just because I do like that offense better than I like New England's offense, even though New England's offense is improving. Damian Harris has looked pretty good, and Mac Jones is certainly getting better. Um, also going to take the 49ers. I don't think that the Bears will win any more this season. That's... <laughs> wow, okay. Not being literal there. I think they'll win a couple of games. But, you know, just they won't win anything that matters again this season. They're, they're, they're looking real bad. Um, and then looking at the Eagles-Lions, I don't know. Why not? Let's take the Eagles here. <laughs> just because the Lions are trash. You're not wrong there. I'll I'll go ahead with my picks here. I'm going to take the Bears because 
the 49ers, even though they're favored by three, are awful. I do think there are some things that might go in their favor. For one, Khalil Mack is going to be out, miss a few weeks here. Uh, and for the 49ers, you know, Jimmy G, second game back last week, playing in the slop in that rain. This week's going to be pretty good weather in Chicago. The 49ers are favored rightfully so with how bad the Bears offense has looked. But I have faith and I'm going to take time out of my day to watch this game because it's the Bears. So I hope they fucking win. Uh, next, I'm going to take Tennessee. I'm going to pick that game from your uh, from your two there, Doug. Derek Henry is too much of a game changer for me to look past it. And I think they've fixed the mistakes that they made against the Jets. I don't think we're going to see that team again. I think that was a real wake-up call. That was their second loss of the season. And, you know, even though they had lost before then, losing to a team like the Jets as bad as they are this year should wake anybody up, right? Last but not least, I'm going to take the Eagles because I have absolutely no faith that the Lions will win a game this year. Uh, currently, it's 24-20 to 20 in favor of Green Bay, and I didn't think we were going to see a 17-0 team to begin with. I do think we'll see an 0-17 team, and I think it's going to be the Detroit Lions. So I'm going with the Eagles here. Yeah, I'm looking at these matchups. I'm going to go with the Niners as well. I just I don't have the trust in whatever's going on in Chicago right now. They've got the talent to win games. I don't know if they've got the coaching right now, and that's that's going to be the issue. They, it's it's a tough situation up there in Chicago. You're gonna you have the growing pains right now of a rookie quarterback, um, which should be ironed out for the most part next season, depending on what you do with your coaching staff. Um, out of the Patriots Chargers game, I'm going with the Chargers. I just have more to believe in, in them. Uh, Mac Jones is. Okay, he's ha- having a, a solid year for a rookie. It's not earth shattering. Um, and overall, the Patriots offense seems to have been struggling this year, except against the Jets last week. Um, whereas the Bolts have just been playing game in and game out. They are winning close games. They are winning games against good opponents. I, I have to believe in them right now. So I'm going with the Bolts. Uh, and then. I am going to give Detroit their their win right here. Uh, this is going to be, like I said, this is their greatest chance to do it. It's at home. They've had two, at least one heartbreaker there on a 66-yard field goal. I don't see that happening again. Um, more importantly, Jalen Hurts really doesn't wake up to playing football until it's gar- garbage time. So we're going to. We're going to hope that the Lions come in and put it away or, you know, have a late lead and it's not technically garbage time. So Jalen Hurts still can't play. You know, you call him garbage time, but if you're playing fantasy football, Jalen Hurts has been lights out for you. Well, that's that's <laughs> where garbage time comes in. Yeah. It's where is the most valuable. Let's go ahead and jump to the players to watch. I guess I'll start us off. I only have one this time around. I'm going with Roquan Smith, the linebacker for the Chicago Bears. This dude's an absolute, absolute beast. If you have not seen Roquan Smith play, treat yourself and go watch the best linebacker in the NFL right now because that's what Roquan Smith is playing like. I'll tell you what, you know, I I undersold this game a little bit because I really don't want to talk about the Bears, but you talked about coaching uh, there, Tug, so I I am going to bring this up. 
Matt Nagy has COVID. He's not probably not going to be able to be at the game. Um, and it's a double-edged sword, really. If the Bears come out and win without him, it starts to really make his future in Chicago more doubtful. However, they go out and lose. Maybe, you know, the other issues on the team are going to be more glaring and apparent and the McCaskies who are way too forgiving are going to say, yeah, it's not all just uh, Matt Nagy. Part of the issue, I talked about it already, that the Bears are going to have to deal with is Jimmy G and really his second week back, better weather, not having to deal with Khalil Mack. I'm interested to see what he's going to be able to do because of what happened last week. And again, Mac being out changes the whole thing even more. So we'll see. I think if the 49ers want a chance to win this one, he's going to have to have a good game. No, that's fair. And I, I do agree with you that if the Bears come out, light this game up and come out with a big win, not a close win, but a big win, the Bears have to look at firing Nagy at that, in, that, in that situation. Um, I am going to stick out West here. Uh, I'm going to go Matt Stafford, uh, quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. We highlighted Cooper Cup a couple weeks ago um, saying he was having a quietly, you know, stud year. I think he was the wide receiver one in fantasy at the time. Still Matt is. Stafford, Matt Stafford, the one that is feeding him the ball. And what makes this interesting for me this year or uh, this week is the Houston Texans secondary has actually played fairly well against passing attacks this year, which is kind of surprising because they're not a great team and really don't have any any defensive backs of of note. So I'm actually expecting uh, Matt Stafford to come out here, light up that Houston uh, secondary and uh, really continue to excel in that Rams high powered passing attack. Some pretty awesome players to watch there. Some pretty awesome games. The NFL is going to be pretty good this weekend, too. Although, i got to say, I'm looking more forward to college, as I usually am. <laughs> it's I, I game. still don't understand what's going on in the NFL this year. I really don't. Yeah, I have no idea either. I also want to say, Cardinals are making this a game. No idea how this is going to turn out. It's only three points right now. All right, guys. I think it is time for our favorite time of the week. I've got a bunch of Twitter results here. I've got a bunch of Heisman winning matchups. What do you guys say? Are, are you guys ready to jump into it? You know it, man. I love bracket time. Let's do it. All right, guys. Doug, we're going to start up right up in uh, your favorite place to be. We have Troy Smith, the quarterback out of Ohio State in 2006, taking on Steve Owens, the fullback out of Oklahoma in 1969. Troy Smith took the Twitter vote. Gentlemen, what say you? Yeah, Troy Smith was really good. <laughs> um, that feels like an understatement. Here's the thing. Steve Owens was actually fantastic. 1,500 yards, 23 touchdowns. Like, that's really good. He was kind of a fullback, running back, depending on what the, what the uh, formation called for. Technically called a fullback. Here's the thing, though. Troy Smith was playing at a time we had Darren McFadden, Brady Quinn, Steve Slayton. I mean, some of these, Ray Rice, Calvin Johnson. <laughs> I mean, this was an absolutely stacked season in college football. 
the best out of those guys was Troy Smith. I, you know, we mentioned it, I feel like every week at this point, and we probably will going forward, at least for another week here, that our ranking of how we did this was by Heisman vote percentage, and that's got to mean something. For me, I, I give it to Troy Smith simply because Steve Owen didn't even have a majority of the votes. He just had the most. He only won with 40.9%. He went up against some some great names. Joe thought, uh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. Archie Manning was on the list that year. He finished fourth, didn't have the best season ever. But, man, it's tough to go with Steve Owen. I, I got to go with Troy Smith and give him the clean sweep here. That'll move on. Troy Smith, who's taking on the winner of our next matchup. We have Herschel Walker, the running back out of Georgia in 1982, taking on Jim Plunkett, the quarterback out of Stanford in 1970. Guys, Herschel Walker took this one with 100% of the vote. Do you guys agree? So I'll start off here. I was actually looking at Jim Plunkett's Heisman year. He beat out Joe Theismann and Archie Manning in second and third place. Had a great season. Jack Tatum was in seventh that year, by the way, a defensive back known for his heavy hitting there. I Herschel Walker had a fine season. He had a fantastic season, actually. He's well known because of the season that he had. And when you look at some of the guys he beat out, it's pretty astonishing Doug, I'll let you touch that because I feel like you're probably going to go Herschel Walker. But I'm going to go Jim Plunkett. In a quarterback-heavy year, he was the best quarterback and won the Heisman because of that. I know it goes in waves of it being a senior award, a quarterback award. Hey, I'm going to get, take Jim Plunkett here. Yeah, that's uh... – that feels like a move that you were making just because Jim Plunkett didn't deserve to get swept. But Herschel Walker definitely deserves to be moving on. Look at the guys that he beat out here. Uh, John Elway, Eric Dickerson. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Dan Marino, Kurt Warner with a C. Um, David Remington, you know, the Remington Award for the best offensive lineman in the country. That was this season. Herschel Walker was better than him. And okay. future Heisman winner Mike Rozier was 10th. Right. This was just an amazing college football season. Herschel Walker was the best player in it. And I don't disagree with that either. 1,750 yards, 16 touchdowns, average over five yards per carry. You know, Herschel Walker led Georgia to probably their best three-season stretch in program history. I think that's undeniable, too. They won the Sugar Bowl winning the national championship in 1980 in his freshman season. And then he led them to back-to-back, another another back-to-back Sugar Bowl appearances. They lost those games. And just incredible fashion as well, Dan Marino ended up beating him for the Sugar Bowl title that year. But Herschel Walker was just fantastic all season. There's a reason that we remember his name. It's beyond the trade. It's even beyond what he did with the Cowboys. I mean, what he did for Georgia is the stuff of legend. And really, this is the last time Georgia was good. So, <laughs> Herschel Walker, is, he deserves some credit for that, too. Right, that'll move on. Herschel Walker, moving on to our next matchup. 
We have Desmond Howard, the wide receiver punt returner out of Michigan in 1991, taking on Danny Werfel, the quarterback out of Florida in 1996. Twitter went with Des Howard. Where are you guys at? I'm going to stick with Des Howard because I love explosiveness. I love explosive plays. When you look at his stats, 23 total yards, not just shy of 1,000 receiving yards with 985 and 694 kick-slash-punt return yards. That was really where he made his money moving forward, you know, in his career there. I've always been a fan of a kick return. Desmond Howard is one of the best to ever do it. I'm going to move on Desmond Howard. I agree with Twitter completely. So I really don't want to vote for Desmond Howard for obvious reasons. At the same time, looking at Danny Werfel, he did not deserve the Heisman Trophy that year. He should have gone to Orlando Pace. He was the best player in the country. And if it were Orlando Pace versus Desmond Howard, I think this would be a different conversation all around. But, yeah, Desmond Howard's the better player of these two. I hate voting for him, but he deserved it. So let's move him on and let's uh, let's get me out of having to talk about Desmond Howard anymore this round. Please. <laughs> All right, Desmond Howard moves on. Moving on to our next matchup, we have Doug Flutie, the Boston College in 1984, taking on Jason White, the quarterback out of Oklahoma in uh, 2003. Got to say, Twitter must love that drop kick because Doug Flutie is moving on, according to them. Do you guys agree? Yes. In a word, yes. I think we kind of get into a thing here where neither season really should it have gone. Like I, I think Doug Flutie deserved it. I think Jason White kind of just got lucky because Oklahoma had a pretty good year. Larry Fitzgerald, second place on this voting. Eli Manning's third place on this voting. He had a great year of senior season. Darren Sproles is on here. Matt Leinert's on here. Phillip Rivers is on here. Ben Roethlisberger's on here. So those feel like arguments for Jason White to me. Yeah, I'm kind of talking myself out of Doug Flutie. The only really big name that he beat was Jerry Rice, who realistically never had a shot at it anyway playing at Mississippi Valley State. I will say, though, that feels like you know sacrilegious nonsense talk. Bernie Kosar is an absolute Cleveland legend, and even though I'm not a Browns fan anymore, I am uh, I'm from the area, and I cannot disrespect Bernie Kosar's name like that. He beat out Bernie Kosar for the Heisman, also beat out Keith Byers, who's one of the greatest running backs in Ohio State history that no one remembers. So Keith Byers had... An absolutely incredible season on par with the Herschel Walker season we were just talking about. And Doug Flutie beat him out, right? So based on purely statistical reference here, Jason White probably did have the better season. 40 touchdowns, 10 picks. Doug Flutie, 27 touchdowns, 11 picks, right? We do have to consider it's a little bit different era. Oklahoma, for a very long time now, has been pretty pass-heavy. So the fact that Doug Flutie was able to do this kind of thing at Boston College 
is still pretty impressive to me. I think it's fair to move Doug Flutie on, and I'm okay with it. I don't I'll, think it should be like unanimous or anything. Jason Whitehead did have a really good season in 2003. I'll say too, though, when I look at it, it Jason White got it on his touchdowns, right? And even then, I still think it probably should have gone to Larry Fitzgerald. In 92 receptions, he had almost half the receiving yards that Jason White had passing yards. In 92 receptions, he had 22 touchdowns. And I understand this isn't really a great comparison here because Jason White had 278 completions on 451 passes. He only had 40 touchdowns. He didn't even have double the touchdowns there that Larry Fitzgerald had receiving. And he threw 10 interceptions. I don't know. Like, obviously, drops aren't tracked the best and weren't tracked the best in 2003. I, man, I don't know. I'm also fine not giving a clean sweep to Flutie here. I'll take Jason White. I think he had a great year. And the guys that he beat out, yes, he beat out some big-name guys. I just... I don't – the more I look at it, the more I'm not really sure that Jason White would have been – if I was voting, I don't know that Jason White would have been how I went for it. If Kansas State finished better than 6-2 and two in the conference, I think Darren Sproles could have won it because, man, he almost got 2,000 yards yeah. on that season and finished, like, what, 6th, 7th in Heisman voting? Brutal. It- yeah, it really is. It really is. All right, that moves on. Doug Flutie coming into probably my favorite matchup of the week. We have Ricky Williams, the running back out of Texas in 1998, taking on Tim Brown, the wide receiver out of Notre Dame in 1987. The guys, Twitter has some love for the Longhorn here, going with Ricky Williams with 100% of the vote. What are you guys thinking? I think everybody on Twitter likes the uh, the herb, the devil's lettuce. Uh, and uh, they went with Mr. Smokeweed every day. He had a great season. I don't know that I take that over what Tim Brown was able to do in Notre Dame. You almost have to, honestly. <laughs> I mean, Ricky Williams had like 2,200 yards, almost 21 2,100 yards, 27 touchdowns. That's incredible. Tim Brown couldn't compete statistically in college. He was a, he was like an athletic marvel, though, by the time. He did some things on the field that no one had ever seen before at the wide receiver position. And And he really, he really transformed the NFL, too. And it's something people don't really even talk about much anymore with what Tim Brown was able to accomplish. Ricky Williams just had an incredible season, though, and it's so hard to overlook it. Well, and he didn't just transform the NFL. I'd argue Tim Brown kind of transformed the way college football kind of works. He had yards in every facet of the game and respectable numbers at that. 846 receiving, 144 rushing, and 857 kick-slash-punt return yards. Again, I love those explosive guys in the return game. Seven total touchdowns. If that number was higher, 
maybe we get more people going that way. But certainly with the yardage he was able to put up, it is clear why he won the Heisman Trophy. I'm going with Tim Brown. I know that's not enough for him to win. But there's just too much there for me to justify a clean sweep in this one. Absolutely agree with that. Tim Brown was really, really good. But so was Ricky Williams. (laughs) Smoke weed every day. Got high because I forgot I wasn't supposed to get high. Oh, my God. Thank you for bringing that up. That is my favorite Ricky Williams quote ever. And, ah, dude, I, I fucking, I love it so much. All right, so that moves on. Ricky Williams moving into our next matchup of the week. We have Gary Babin, the quarterback out of UCLA in 1967, taking on Marcus Allen, the running back out of USC in 1981. Twitter went 100% with Marcus Allen. What do you guys say? Yeah, this one's not even really close to me. Not going to lie. Um, over Gary Beban, I might have put Larry Zonka that season. Or OJ Simpson again. So, yeah, Marcus Allen was incredible. This was the season before Herschel Walker won his. And Herschel Walker had better stats this season than in the year that he won it. But Marcus Allen whooped him wiped the field with him in the statistical department. We're talking 2,400 yards and 22 touchdowns. So better than Herschel Walker and certainly better than Gary. <laughs> Did they just not want to give it to OJ Simpson as a junior? I I truly Probably. don't. I don't understand why Gary Beban won the Heisman. This one I absolutely am okay with being a clean sweep here and going with Marcus Allen, man, it's it, – you look at the the list of people he beat. You said Herschel Walker. There's Jim McMahon, Dan Marina, Art Schittler Sch, – Schlit, fuck it. Darren Nelson. Schlichter. Schlichter, yeah. I was going to keep saying Schittler. So, uh, <laughs> uh, just an amazing group of guys to beat. And, again, there's no reason Kerry Beaven should have won that Heisman to begin with. That'll move on. Marcus Allen moving on to our next matchup. We have Glenn Davis, the halfback out of Army in 1946, taking on the award himself, Davey O'Brien, the quarterback out of TCU in 1938. It was close on Twitter, guys, but Twitter went with Davey O'Brien. What are you guys thinking? Man, we talked about it last round. With Doc Blanchard, right? The story coming back from World War II, people going back to West Point, trying to get their degrees after serving in the military, and uh, playing like 24, 25 year old Glenn Davis here, just tearing people up, destroying some noobs on the field. I loved it. (laughs) Awesome story. Davey O'Brien, though, that's something special. Yeah, and it it is kind of tough taking somebody who had not only a physical advantage, but probably at this point a mental advantage of I'm playing a game. Nothing in this game is going to get to me because of what I just went through. 
I, I love Glenn Davis. I love the story. I love what he was able to do in college football. But David O'Brien ultimately did more for college football. And just looking at college football, David O'Brien. Also say, too, this was TCU's only national championship to date. So that that feels like a pretty good reason to vote for Davey O'Brien. I like it. All right, moving on, Davey O'Brien there. Bringing up our final matchup of the week, we have Barry Sanders, the running back out of Oklahoma State in 1988, taking on Ty Detmer, the quarterback out of BYU in 1990. Guys, Twitter loves Barry Sanders, 100% there. What are you guys thinking? Dude had 37 touchdowns on the ground. What? <laughs> um, that's one of the best statistical seasons of all time for any position ever. Barry Sanders is going to be very tough to beat in this bracket to begin with on his stats alone. But when you beat out guys like Troy Aikman and Neon Deion Sanders, that's going to elevate you a little bit more as well. Ty Detmer, man, here's a name you probably recognize that he beat. Eric Bieniemy, running back out of Colorado, right? Great season, 41 touchdowns, the 28, over 1,000 passing yards, right? This was 1990. Game hadn't changed to where that should be something you would really expect to see. And taking that into account, man, great season, but you throw 28 interceptions on top of that too. That'd be like Barry Sanders having seven or eight fumbles. And, you know, it, it's just – I firmly believe Oklahoma State, aside from their rivalry with Oklahoma – rides a lot on the name of Barry Sanders being an alumni that keeps them relevant and in the national spotlight. And Barry Sanders played there 40, almost 40 years ago. I I don't know how you can not go with Barry Sanders on this one. He's going to be a very tough guy for anybody to beat. Davey O'Brien, I think is going to have a tough time going up against him next week, man, Barry Sanders amazing college athlete and that's that's an understatement we've been talking a lot about guys who like change the way college football works even though guys awards are named after guys who revolutionized the game barry sanders did not revolutionize college football because no one in the world could possibly replicate what this man did no matter the circumstances around them no matter how good your blocking is people are incapable of producing seasons like this. This is something else. I mean, Barry Sanders has to move on. (laughs) I'm going to explain Ben's face to you real quick here, Doug. Um, Congratulations, boys. It is 72 Dolphins Day. Um, Fuck that. (laughs) All right, moving on here. That was our last matchup of the night. We have our matchup set for the next time we visit this bracket. We'll have Troy Smith taking on Herschel Walker, Desmond Howard taking on Doug Flutie, Ricky Williams taking on Marcus Allen, and Davey O'Brien taking on Barry Sanders. That is going to be difficult. Twitter, we need your help at BDT Football. Guys, look at us on Facebook. Uh, We'll put the polls up there, too. 
But that is all the time we have for Bracket Time today. Truly an incredible podcast, fellas. I think that's what we call in this business a work of art. Thank you for sharing this experience with us. Uh, we have some links to shout out. I know we've shouted out a few throughout the episode, but Tug, you want to go ahead and give them the rest? Sure. I'll just run down the full list. We have our Twitter uh, is at BDT football or facebook.com slash BDT football. We have Patreon now, patreon.com slash BDT football, our website, uh, BDT football.com and our email mailbox at BDT football.com. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure all those will be in the description as well. And head over to Bug. What do you got for us, man? Yep, so I was on the NFL carousel again this week. Uh, getting to talk about the Bears a little bit more in depth. Just another reason why I don't I try as much as possible to not do it too much on here. And uh, you know we'll see we'll see what happens this week with them and with everything really. I do have a question for you guys, though. Why did Billy get fired from the Banana Factory? He kept throwing away the bent ones. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is clearly all the time we have on the show today. We thank you for listening. And just remember, you can't win a game if you can't win in the trenches.